0: Open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, and um, let's see. There we go. Um, My computer's doing funny things here, so I guess I'll do that. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of Daniel, and we're going to be in chapter 5 at the very end of the chapter, but let me give you the little um, overview of where we've been. I call it the backstory, because the first chapters of Daniel are a narrative, a story, meaning history. So let me bring you up to date in case you weren't here, and then we'll dive into the text we left off at the end of chapter 5. But the backstory is Israel, the country of Israel, has been given all kinds of chances, and they have not Uh, obeyed God. They have had other gods. They've had idolatry. They've been prideful. They've been disobedient. As a result, God allowed a king named Nebuchadnezzar to overtake their country, their city, and the temple, and their whole country, and take the country captive. And they took some young men back to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of the Babylonian empire. They took some young men in their teens, among them Daniel and his three friends, They took them back to Babylon in order to sort of brainwash them and make them Babylonians, pagans, and get them into the culture. They took the best and the brightest kind of thing. But Daniel and his friends never would compromise. And we'll see if if Daniel does in the next chapter. Um, But um, Daniel has given an ability by God to interpret dreams. And he does so for Nebuchadnezzar, who has a... um, a dream about a huge statue with a head of gold. And we'll talk more about that in a couple chapters, but it turns out the interpretation is those are all the major empires of the world leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Daniel, uh, constantly, like I said, doesn't compromise as a result, he's promoted and becomes prime minister basically of Babylon while the Jews are in exile, even though they're being punished. God is with Daniel. Um, so nebuchadnezzar learns his lesson or does he in the very next chapter he builds a 90 foot tall statue made out of solid gold to not solid gold but coated with gold that everyone can worship and um so uh He decrees that everybody has to worship that statue. Daniel's three friends won't worship it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they're thrown into a fiery furnace. You remember this from a couple chapters ago. But God protects them in there because a fourth shadowy figure, or maybe not so shadowy, is with them. And it's most scholars think it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. In the next chapter, um, Nebuchadnezzar dreams of a giant tree. But he, in the dream, he hears the order given to cut the tree down and just leave the stump. And there's other things given anyway. Daniel interprets it and says, this is a warning for you, Nebuchadnezzar. You need to humble yourself and realize God is the one who puts people in control or takes empires down. And God gives him a whole year to repent. And he doesn't. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. So God basically makes him mentally crazy to the point that he thinks he's an ox or a cow and he eats grass outside lives outside can't speak as a punishment to kind of wake him up Uh, his hair grows long and uh, fingernails grow long as well um still prideful but after the seven years he repents and that's sort of um just before where we are chapter five Nebuchadnezzar has passed away, and we have a guy named Belshazzar, who's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king now, very prideful and more in-your-face paganism than Nebuchadnezzar never was. Nebuchadnezzar repents and really becomes a believer at the end of chapter 4. Belshazzar throws a huge drunken party, really more like an orgy, if you will, um, as the Persian... Uh, The Medes and the Persian, their combined army, are just outside about to take over the Babylonian Empire. And God, with a sense of humor, in my opinion, creates a hand that writes on the wall a message for this king, Belshazzar. And Daniel interprets the message, and basically the message is that your days are numbered as a king. And he's, you've been weighed and found wanting, meaning you are uh, not what you should be. You haven't repented. And that the kingdom is going to be divided to the Medes and the Persians who are right outside the door. The king rewards um, Daniel. But that very night, Belshazzar is killed and the Medes and the Persians take over the Babylonian Empire. So, um we left off right around uh, verse 30, the very end. That's kind of the backstory. Those of you that are here and those of you online say amen. So I know you're awake. Amen. Good. So um, Daniel verse 29 at the end of verse uh, chapter five, he's clothed in purple because the king orders it a gold chains given him and he's proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom, which lasts for a couple hours. And then it's all over Belshazzar is killed and the Medes take over. So then we have a guy in chapter six named Darius or Darius, some people call him. I I prefer Darius if you don't mind. Um, He takes over and the word Darius is a word like the word Caesar or the word king or the word president. It's not really a title. It's more, I'm sorry, it's not really a name, a personal name like Bill or John or Dave or Diane. It's more of a title. So a lot of scholars think Darius is Cyrus, who is the main ruler that people know of, of this Persian empire. Just wanted to make that clear. So Darius is going to set up his empire. Verse one, it says, let me see. I have a little introduction here. Maybe I should look at that before I dive in. But basically, I think I've told you everything. Daniel is going to end up in a lion's pit. You probably know about that. Um, That happens in this chapter. Um, And we won't have any film on that, which is a good thing. Um, But the whole message of this book, before we dive in, is that kingdoms come and kingdoms go. And rulers come and they appear to be, you know, it appears that it's impossible that this guy would ever fall but they do. The message of the book of Daniel is that God's the one doing it. He's even setting up the people that are taking control, whether they're good or bad, it may be for the nations, what they deserve kind of thing. And um, it's about the humbling of these rulers kind of thing. If you think through all of the empires, the Hittites, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, P, uh, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, Um Western hemisphere, we have the Aztecs, um, the Inca, and Mayan empires. You can go to Central America and there's some relics, but there's pretty much nothing left. And they were huge empires, all of them. They fall, rise and they fall. Isaiah 40, verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance, meaning on the scale, meaning they mean pretty much nothing to God. So, um, Daniel, the name Daniel has three syllables, Don E L each syllable means something. Um, Don means judge. The E means my, and L E L means God. In other words, God is my judge. Um, And that's how he lives his life. You can't judge him and tell him, we want you to conform. He says, I'm living for an audience of one. God is my judge. What a lesson for Christians. So, um, but, you know, if you read it the way it sits, it's judge my God, right? Which probably isn't correct, but you could almost make that work as well. Daniel gives you the challenge. Judge my God. Look how he predicts things. Is there any God like him? So I thought I'd throw that in. Anyway, so Darius is going to set up a government here. Verse 1, chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. These are more local governors to rule throughout the kingdom. Um, And with three, verse 2, administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Some translations have Daniel was first. But really, it could just mean he was one of them. But the point is, out of all these regional governors, there's three guys that are going to oversee all those smaller territory governors. One of them is not a Persian or a Mede. It's Daniel, who's a Jew. kind of unusual. But he's an old man by now, pushing 90, late 80s. But he has such a reputation as being a godly man, he ends up with this post because he had a similar post in the previous regime, if you will. Uh, The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. These three guys are in charge. Two of them are probably Persians who greatly, I'll show you in a second, resent that this Jew who was a captive a hostage basically is now one of the three of us, you know, in his cabinet running the government, they resent him. They also resent him because they're pagans and he's a godly man. Uh, we'll see that as well in a second. Verse three. Now, Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. And really it has exceptional spirit here. Um, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He's sort of in line for a huge promotion, as he had had with Babylon. So there might be the temptation for Daniel to compromise, to not mess up this huge promotion that's looming, if you will. Um, Except he had an exceptional spirit. Um, Most of the commentary said that has to do with his attitude. They're not saying they know he's got the Holy Spirit. These are pagans, but he just has a positive, good attitude about everything. He's got experience in government, which these other guys probably don't, because he's governed this area. The Babylonians, who are now captive, know Daniel, so there's a lot of reasons why we can... the king thinks, Darius thinks, Cyrus, he can trust Daniel and put him in control, not over everything in the empire, but over the Babylon portion of it, if you will. Um, Let's see. Verse four, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Translation, we got to get rid of this guy. Let's impeach him on trumped up charges. Let's find something. A lot of you're smiling. Let's find something we can nail this guy on. So they go into his you know, social media, his Facebook. I'm just kidding, but you know what I mean. They're looking in his background. And by the way, he's been in Babylon since he was 15, 17, 13 years old. A lot of time they're asking people, anybody got any dirt on Babylon, uh, on, on Daniel? You know, please call us at on our cell number and we'll, we'd love to take him down kind of thing. They can't find anything. Keep in mind, this guy's been in government, like I said, for a long time. He's, there's been people that have served under him. Is there any uh, impropriety with women? Is there any stealing of money, underhanded stuff? They're looking for anything to get rid of him because they resent he's about to be promoted. Keep in mind the unsaved world, what I just told you was the visible physical world, right? The unsaved world people that are not saved, whether you know it or not, resent you for being a Christian, for being righteous. Whether you know it or not, a lot of the reason is because our conduct sometimes convicts people who are living sinful lives that we aren't participating, that we're no longer doing, especially if they used to know you when you were a sinner back in the old day. Um, (laughs) Hopefully it was a... A long day ago, but wrong, long time ago. But anyway, there is always that clash between the kingdom of the world or Satan and the believers. They resent Daniel, whether they know it or not, because he's a righteous guy. I'm not going to tell you what, but at the end of this chapter, if we make it there tonight, I'm going to show you that there's a parallel to this that happens centuries later to what you're going to see in this book, see if you can figure out what it is or more exactly who it is. Okay. I'm not going to give it away. You have to stay tuned. Those of you on zoom and those of you that are here, the doors are locked. You can't leave anyway. Okay. Um, So they're trying to find grounds. Verse four charges against him. They look through his governmental records. They can't do it. No corruption in him for he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. The guy just did a good job, not only in worshiping and obeying his God, but in his earthly duty. And we are told to work at our job, whether it's at a grocery store, a bank, a school, wherever we work, as if we're working for God, that he's our boss. Even if our own boss, the real boss, is corrupt, we serve a higher power. We are supposed to be bringing glory to God by reflecting his goodness, if you will. Okay, verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. These guys know Daniel pretty well, and they know the one thing you can say about him is he is so serious about obeying his God. Okay, so we got to somehow use that against him, make that an evil, if you will, kind of what a twisted way of thinking, right? So they know Daniel's, we're going to see in a second, habits, one of which is regular, consistent prayer at specific times. Um, What we're also seeing, I hinted at it a second ago, is A parallel between what the New Testament calls suffering for righteousness sake. Jesus talks about it. Blessed are you when men persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me, meaning Jesus, not me. Because of your relationship with me, because you're a Christian. If you're persecuted because you're doing the right thing, he says, man, great is your reward in heaven. That's what we're going to sort of see here as well. Um, You remember, we mentioned it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't compromise. And so they sort of set up a trap for them. They didn't worship. And these are the guys that pointed, some of them probably the same, pointed them out. That's why they ended up in the fiery furnace and God protected them through it. So um, let's see, let's jump back in. Verse six. So these administrators and satraps went as a group, this to the king, which is Darius, probably Cyrus. I want you to picture this. This is a meeting. It's like the White House. There's a meeting at the White House in front of the president with the whole Supreme Court, the whole Senate and the whole house. Okay. You'd have, if you're the president, you would listen up like, wow, this is a big deal. They're all here to talk to me. They went as a group to the king and they said, May King Darius live forever. This is a common greeting for kings. Um, It's ironic because nobody does, right? May you live forever, king. Um, Kind of buttering him up. Verse 7, here's their pitch. The royal administrators, remember there's three of them, Daniel's one. Remember, we just covered that. The, The three overseers of the whole kingdom. The royal administrators prefects satraps advisors and governors have all agreed stop right there that's like saying the whole supreme court the whole senate the whole house your whole cabinet the vice president even your wife and your dog everybody agrees what we're about to tell you okay which isn't true because daniel's one of those and what what they're about to say there's no way daniel would agree to okay pick it up again. Verse seven, the royal administrator's prefects. These are all the different officers of the government. Advisors and the governors have all agreed that the king, that's you, Darius, should issue an edict, a mandate, an executive order, if you will. Uh, Issue an edict and enforce the decree, here it comes, that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Okay. How many have heard the term humanism? You ever heard that? What all humanism is, you may say, well, I'm a human. I guess I'm a humanist. No, you're not. If you're a believer, humanism is man, human beings taking the place of God. God allows us to govern ourselves and the various governments of different countries and states and what have you, but he never wants us to take his position as God. Humanism says we can do it all ourselves, the humanist manifesto. We don't need God. By the way, there is no God. That's the humanist manifesto in a couple of sentences. They are buttering him up and saying, Imagine now you're the president and they say, the Supreme Court, the Senate, the House, everybody, we've all agreed, let's have 30 days where you're worshipped as God. And if anybody worships any other God, and by the way, the Persians, like the um, Babylonians, had other gods. Uh, If anybody, by the way, one of the things the Persians worshipped was fire, believe it or not. Um, I'll get to that in a second. If anybody worships any other God except you, his ego is blowing up like a balloon, right? Then they'll have to be thrown into the lion's den. In other words, what? Capital punishment, forced worship of you for 30 days. Some of you aren't old enough to know about this. In the 1960s and maybe even the 50s, there was a TV show called queen for a day. Does anybody remember it? All you old people like me remember it. Queen for a day. Some lady, you make her queen for a day. I don't know. But anyway, this is king for a month. King of the universe for a month. God for a month, if you will. Small g. So um, that's the tempting thing for this guy, okay, Darius. And the punishment is capital punishment. Be thrown into a lion's den. We'll talk about what that is when we get there in a little while. So that's their pitch to him. Um, He is uh, an absolute dictator, but not nearly as much as Nebuchadnezzar was because he's got people under him. The Persians had a rule that a lot of governments in that era had, which was if you make a new law, this is pretty amazing. That's it. There's no rescinding the law. There's no, um, uh, the Supreme Court found it unconstitutional. That law is out. Once you make a law, it's a law, okay? There's no turning back. Um, So uh, that's what they're trying to do. Probably Darius with this group of people, the higher ups, the who's who of his government, all telling him, let's have 30 days of you being worshiped and anybody that doesn't worship you, is killed okay for most of these pagans? Pretty easy assignment 30 days, you know, oh, bow, we bow to you, oh great Darius. Whatever they may mean it or not, but they're probably gonna put up with it and do it, just as they bowed to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar made decades before. Verse so they, they urge him in verse 8, issue the decree, uh, now your majesty, issue the decree, put it in writing. So, notice, so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. They're really laying it on thick, reminding him, remember, the law here is once you make a law, it's a law forever, right? In the United States of America, we don't have that. As I said, laws can be repealed, laws can be changed. Um, the Supreme Court can overturn a law, right? Right. Um, and as you know, there are laws we have on the books in America that are ignored, right? They're on the books, the real laws. We have an ex uh, law enforcement guy who'll tell tell me that's true, right? Ken? Uh, so issue the decree so it can't be repealed. He's buttered up. He's not really thinking, but we do know he really thinks a lot of Daniel. How do you know that? Because he's about to appoint him to be second in command, the head guy over this whole area. So, verse 9, King Darius put the decree in writing. Wow, 30 days of being worshiped. How awesome is that? What a high. Can't wait. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he stopped worshiping God for 30 days. Is that what it says? you're all going, yeah, right. You know his character too well, right? When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Okay, you learn a number of things in this verse 10. Do you see them? Number one, it's not ignorance. Daniel doesn't pray because n- nobody gave him the message. He didn't get the text on his phone. He knows it's a law now. You can't worship your God or any other God, or you're going in the lion's dead. You're going to die. Okay. So a rational human being would think, hmm, prayer to God or die. Oh, I'm sorry. Prayer to God means dying or live And take the higher position in the government, right? Imagine the little voice at the back of your head that would rationalize it's only 30 days. God will understand. He doesn't want me dead. God will understand if I just take a little break from praying, worshiping God, I'll go through the motions and worship. Darius for 30 days. God will understand. It's more important that I have this high position where you can use me more, God. Do you hear all the rationalization? And yet you read the Old Testament. Daniel knows the Bible. He knows the Old Testament. He knows, forget it. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. On the top 10 of commandments, guess what number that is? Number one, right? Uh, With a bullet. Okay. Some of you don't know what that means. Anyway, um, it's a music term. Anyway, so he has a decision to make. Is dying, um, is, is praying for 30 days worth dying over, right? That's the real decision. He has no guarantee, and neither do you or I, that God will always protect us if there's persecution right? We don't know. We pray that he will. He will always come through in some way, but he might not. What's the proof of that? There's been martyrs since the time began, right? Especially in the Christian era, but certainly there's been Jews that have died for their faith as well. 11 of the 12 apostles end up dying pretty horrible deaths because they were unwilling to say, okay, okay, I don't worship Jesus. He's not God. He didn't rise from the dead. We made it up. They went to their deaths going, I, I'm, I know what I believe. Go ahead and kill me, right? Paul, what does Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Pretty amazing. Um, so Daniel, I want you to also notice, doesn't go to the woods to pray, right? Away from everybody, traveled 19 miles where he knew nobody would found him, find him, and that's a good compromise. I'm still praying, Um, but I'm kind of hiding it. Uh, He doesn't go to the secret inner chamber in his house with the doors closed and locked and pray very quietly so no one could hear. He goes about his normal routine because he believes, because it's his routine. I think it's astounding that most Christians don't do this. You say, what, pray? No, no. Most Christians pray right? I think the normal mode for Western Christians is we pray when we're in big trouble. You got to get me out of this. I really need you now, right? When everything's good, people tend to pray less, right? I'll call you when I need you. Like the spiritual bellhop, you ring the bell, he comes, what do you need, Joe? Well, this is, here's my list, God, right? Whereas prayer is not about us putting our will on God and do this, the real reason for prayer is us conforming our will to and our dependence on God. It's just the opposite. Paul says more than once, pray how often? Anybody know? Without, Marita gets an A, without ceasing right? All times during the day, you're talking to somebody in line at the grocery store and you're praying, this woman's not a Christian. I pray that you'd open a door to witness to her, God. Pray on all occasions, right? Things are good. Things are bad. Things are indifferent. Daniel has a habit of prayer. May I ask, and you don't have to answer, do you have a time where pretty much Every day, you could write it down on a piece of paper, and I'm going to come to your house at 10, 15 in the morning, because that's what you said, Juanita, and, and if I knock on the door or look through your window, peeping Tom, right, I'm going to see, oh, there she is praying. Look at that. It's a regular thing. Or do you haphazardly, I pray sometimes when I'm driving, I pray at night with my wife in bed, but you know, if you can pray at night before bed, it's a good time. However, have you ever gotten into bed, very tired, turned the light off and said, now I'm going to pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. Have you ever done that? Or you forget what you, you kind of shake your head. And go, oh, sorry, Lord. Right. Maybe if you're one of those people that falls asleep in 26 seconds, maybe that's not your time. Maybe first thing in the morning after a cup of coffee, set aside time to pray. Daniel did it right This is where we learn the secret of Daniel's whole life. The guy was committed to God to the point that he couldn't imagine not communicating with his God. We say in this Bible study, I won't do the whole thing, the big long story, but there's an acronym we use in this Bible study for prayer. And it's the book after the gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, anybody know what's the next book? ACTS, A-C-T-S is a great acronym for prayer because you always meet Christians who say, you know, I pray, but I don't know what to talk to him about. And just communicate with him, right? Open your heart to him. You read some of the Psalms and they're pouring their hearts out going, why aren't you with me? I feel so alone. Tell the truth. Talk to God like you would your best friend because that's what he is. However, there is the acronym Acts. The four things that God ought to be in every prayer, okay? Very quickly. A, adoration. Your prayer ought to have some time in it in which you're not asking for stuff. You're just praising Him, adoring Him, you know, worshiping Him, right? How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Give me this, give me that. Give us this day our daily breads first. No, it's way at the end, right? Our Father who art in heaven, you're in heaven in a dimension far above me, hallowed, honored, held in great esteem and awe. That's how your name should be. May your kingdom come, your will be done. It's all worship. It's all praise. A, adoration. C, confession. That means confess to God you've had bad thoughts, you've had bad actions, you've had bad words that you've said, you had bad motives and Uh, a time when you confess, a time when you show God you understand. Confession means agreement. You're agreeing with him. That was sin that I did on Thursday. I'm sorry for it. I turned from it. Adoration A, C, confession T, thanksgiving. This is the one people forget. We rush into God's presence. Give me this, give me this, give me that, and that, and I'll give you till Thursday at 2 30. Come, who are we? Thank God for past answered, prayer. Thank God for things that you just plain have that you take for granted. I've told you this before that when our kids were little we used to pray with them at night before bed. In bed, tell them a story, all that stuff, pray with them. And I I made the kids each thank God for something each night. But the rule was you can't repeat the same thing. Thank you for mommy. And you did that last night, honey, you know. Something, thank you for daddy, and you did that two nights ago. So just thanking God for things. My son one time thanked God that he had knees, you know, knees where your knees bent. And I had to bite my lip not to laugh. But then I started thinking, yeah, if my knees could, my legs couldn't bend, there's a lot of things I couldn't do, right? Thank God for everything because the book of Daniel, that's the other thing he's saying in this book is it all comes from him anyway. Adoration, A, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, S, supplication. It's just a fancy word. It means it's okay to ask God for things. Ask God for things. We, I, you heard me pray for so-and-so to be healed, for so-and-so's escrow to close, for so-and-so to have a, a strengthened immune system, for so-and-so who needs a job to f- find a job, for that relationship to be mended, whatever it is. That, can that include praying for yourself? Absolutely. But praying for others as well. A-C-T-S. That'll be on the final. You might want to write that down. Okay. Daniel spends time every day praying to God. Part of prayer is you talking, or at least thinking. He can hear your thoughts, right? You can pray on the bus. You don't have to pray out loud. He hears your thoughts. However, part of your quiet time with God is God, you, shutting up so God can talk to you. Are you saying you hear voices, Joe? No, I don't. But I am saying that God does speak to us, sometimes inaudibly, sometimes most often through this book that's on your lap, right? 66 books uh, condensed into what's called the Bible. He speaks to us. But when we rush into his presence, ask for stuff, fall asleep, that's rude. Imagine that you and I are friends and Once a week, I call you and you see on your phone, oh, Joe's calling, watch this, honey. And you put it on speaker and I say, hi, Bill, how are you? I hope you're fine. Um, Here's what I need. I really need you to come over and help me with this and this. And could you really help me with this and this? Thank you very much. Bye. And you hang up the phone. You go, you see, he doesn't even ask me what's going on. What I think there's no time for me to respond. Daniel has an awesome prayer life, verse 10. He learns that the degree's been published, which means he knows about the penalty, death. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Um, So in a sense, he's doing what we would call politically demonstrating, right? It's a peaceful demonstration. He's not tearing down any idols or anything, although he'd probably like to but he's, he's doing phys, uh, civil disobedience, right? Remember in it's Acts, I think it's four, but it might be five now that I think about it. Um, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel. Do you remember? And they have them whipped and say, don't you preach the gospel again, the Jews. And Peter and John say, we must obey God rather than men. Sorry, we're gonna keep preaching the gospel. You have no authority over that for that us. We are living our lives for an audience of one. In the same way, that's what Daniel's doing. It's sort of civil disobedience. Um, he prays three times a day. He doesn't pray just once. He goes about his normal routine. Um, in the Old Testament, Solomon had taught the Jews to pray facing Jerusalem. You may know that Muslims pray... I think it's five times a day, isn't it? Five or six. I think it's five. Facing, um, say again, Mecca. Mecca. Yeah, I couldn't think of it. Facing Mecca, you get an A bill. Um, Jews, he thought that they ought to pray for Jerusalem, for Israel, facing Israel, Solomon. Um, this is uh, mentioned. I have it in my notes somewhere. Uh, First Chronicles 23, Nehemiah 9. There's other places. Um Oh, oh, that's another thing. No, sorry. Second Chronicles six. Um, and Second Chronicles, uh, no, Psalm five as well. Later on, though, when you get to the New Testament, just saying so that you don't go home and go get out the compass and go, where would Jerusalem be from our house in Oakhurst, honey? Okay, right about. Listen, when Jesus in, in chapter four of John encounters a Samaritan woman, do you remember that? She mentions to him, you Jews say Jerusalem's supposed to be the place to pray and all that. And you know what he says? doesn't matter, basically. He says, God seeks those who worship in spirit and in truth. You remember that in John 4? If you think about that statement, in spirit, God wants you to pray in spirit. What's the opposite of doing something in the spirit? Doing something in the flesh, Right going through the motions, but it's not really from your spirit. In spirit and in truth, what's the opposite of, of praying in truth? Praying in error, right? Praying to false gods, praying in, in a way that's not biblical. Daniel doesn't compromise, again, not even one iota. It's public prayer. It's not vague and ambiguous prayer. It's the normal prayer. He Notice he gives thanks before his God. Now, he's got a lot to be thankful for, right? We already mentioned a lot of things, but he could be a whiner that says, why are we still prisoners here? It's been just about 70 years. What's going on? Have you forgotten? I'm getting a little tired of being here, and I'm an old man. I'd like to go back to Israel. He's giving thanks in the situation he's in to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Bible, the God of the Bible. Um, we already talked about that, um, but a lifestyle that's uncompromising. Um, notice that he fell on his knees to pray. You say, well, so what? Can you pray sitting down? Yes. Can you pray standing up, driving, standing on your head? Yes, of course. The Jews normally prayed standing up. Um, kind of surprising, right? You thought I was going to say kneeling down when there was extreme earnest need and crisis, they would pray on their knees, kneeling down. You can pray, like I said, in any position at any time, pray without ceasing. Um, so morning, noon, and night, good way to divide up the day, right? A, A little bit of prayer every single day. Um, He's praying toward Jerusalem, the place of sacrifice, even though there's no sacrifice going on because they've desecrated the temple and taken over their nation. Um, We already talked about that. Um, In the New Testament, Jesus prays on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. So does Stephen, Peter, Paul, and the leaders of the church in Acts 20, also Luke. Um, Let's see. It doesn't say, but I wonder, three times a day, morning. Noon, night. How long do you think he prayed? 20 seconds? A minute? I don't think so. I think it's lengthy prayers. Um, Yours don't have to be. Um, Jesus prayed several times all night long. Remember? No sleep, just up praying. There's communication with God. Awesome thing. Um, But this is the inner secret of Daniel's life. Um, Yeah. Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that men will see your good works and glorify you, no, glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's Daniel's mantra, if you will. He's praying so that people will know he believes. Jesus talking in Luke 9 says to believers, or no, not to believers, to generally to the public, you know, some of you believe, some of you don't. If you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in glory to judge the world. What do you mean by that? If Daniel had copped out and said, it's only 30 days, I don't want to burn. I don't want to get eaten by lions. Uh, I'm going to just be ashamed of God. God would have been ashamed of him. Um, Let's see. So there's a real test of loyalties, the king or the king of kings. That's what Daniel has to figure out. Um, Let's keep rolling. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, So he learns of the decree, goes home, upstairs, normal room, windows open toward Jerusalem, windows, they didn't have glass windows. They would put lattice on some windows, but it's so hot there. Remember, this is Babylon, which is Iraq. Okay. It's not temperate climate like Pismo Beach or anything. Um, so he goes and prays three times a day. He got down. I'm in the middle of verse 10. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. No change, despite what the government says. Verse 11. Then these men, that's the ones plotting who got the king to do the, the uh, mandate. They went as a group, They go to Daniel's house. They know where he lives. Found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Kind of implies they could hear what he's asking, right? Verse 12. So they go to tell on him. They went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. So notice they don't just barge in and go, Daniel was praying to a God different than you. They want to set it all up like lawyers would, right? Johnny Cochran style. Didn't you publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or any human being except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den. this is verse 12. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And they're all shaking their hands. They're rubbing their hands, going, We got him. He just said it. He's agreeing. There is a decree. It can't be repealed. There's no exceptions, no loopholes. Verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, literally it reads, that Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, a prisoner, in other words, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day, implied to his God and not to you. Um, You know what? It's 10 minutes up, so we're going to take our two-minute break. Don't go away, but this is your chance to stretch a little. We'll take a two-minute break. We'll be right back. I'm going to just turn my screen off. We'll be right back. There we go. We're recording again. Do find your seats, and we'll pick it up where we left off. So they have come to the king and said, they, you know, sort of reported Daniel uh, as disobeying the decree. Um, notice that they say, uh, he pays no attention to you. It's an insult to you. But truth is, Darius, we're going to find out, not only respects Daniel, but has now considered him a friend, okay? He's going to try to protect Daniel. Um, he pays no attention to you. He pays no attention to the de- degree, decree you put in writing. He disobeys the law. He still prays three times a day, not just once, Oop, I, oops, I slipped. He's regularly breaking the law going over the speed limit on highway 41. Okay. I made you feel guilty, didn't I? Verse 14 is really the most surprising, one of the most surprising verses in the whole book. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed and was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him because he respects him. He probably sees through these guys coming to him with this charge suddenly the light bulbs go on and he realizes oh that's why you guys buttered me up and made me give this decree that everybody's supposed to worship me i know i'm not a god you it was all to get daniel to set him up for impeachment oh i see but he knows daniel's a righteous man he's his friend he was about to promote him notice he's distressed he's on Daniel's side. He keeps trying to free Daniel, determined to rescue him, and he made every effort until sundown to save him. Is there some kind of a loophole, some kind of a way out of this? I don't want to throw him in the lion's den just for doing that, but because of the law, he's trapped, right? They've set a trap um, both for him and he already fell for it, and for Daniel, and Daniel said, I don't care if it's a trap, I'm going to pray anyway. So for a whole day, and these guys know it, he's trying to free Daniel until sundown to save him. Verse 15, then the men, they come again. The men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Don't talk about, I got a new law now, or a repeal, or an exception for the Jews. Or Remember, you don't want to lose face, do you? So they really have them between a rock and a hard place, Right. The truth is Daniel didn't mean any disrespect to the king. He just has a higher king that he worships, right? Daniel would still tell you he's Darius's friend um, and serves Darius in the position he was in. So uh, verse 16. So the king, I'm going to insert a word here, reluctantly, right? How do you know that, Joe? Because he spent most of a day trying to save him, but he knows they got him. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That's his hope, right? That's why it's reluctantly may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. What a testimony about Daniel. First of all, his enemies, that whole group, they all know the dude is righteous. He prays regularly, right? What a witness. The king knows you serve your God continually. May he rescue you. From Darius's point of view, The chances of the Jewish man being dropped into a pit, we'll talk about the lions in the pit in a second, and not be eaten alive in seconds is pretty much one in a trillion, right? It just would be an unbelievable miracle if they don't um, eat him alive. There were lions that roamed that area, um, and they were. there was a way to set traps and catch lions, and they did so um, for this purpose. Uh, and a, a lion's den was usually a place where you had to go up a ramp or a stairway to get to the top to drop food in or people in. But there also had to be a side entrance to get the Lions, lions in, and also in case of a very rainy, floody kind of uh, extreme weather, it would fill up with water and drown the lions, right? Cats don't like to swim, as they say. So um, Daniel, very unceremoniously, it just says, verse uh, 16, he gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Who went with them? Darius. How do you know that? The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Maybe after they threw him in or as they were about to throw him in, he wishes that, I hope your God saves you, the one you serve continually. Although he's totally blameless, he's being persecuted and killed because of the jealousy of others. That's a hint. Um, let's see. Did you know that your faith, to a degree, can be, here's a word from the COVID-19 era, contagious. Your faith can be contagious in a good way. You set a good example. There's an old saying that is this, worship, um, witness for Christ constantly with the people around you. When necessary, use words. Just your lifestyle speaks way louder than all your words. People see your honesty, your integrity, your kindness to others, your love, your grace, your mercy. We're supposed to reflect Christ, right? It's It can be contagious, especially if the Holy Spirit is drawing the certain person who's watching your lifestyle. Daniel has that kind of lifestyle. Um, Darius knows it. You serve continually that God. Um, Let's see. It was typical. Uh, The Persians, by the way, were extremely brutal. Okay. Um, Because they worshiped fire, that's why it's not a hot furnace as it was in whatever that was, chapter three, I think it was. Remember the hot furnace? They worshiped fire. They didn't kill people with fire. They used lions to kill people. Horrible way to die. I mean, there's no great way to die, but that's like not on my top 10. Um, The lions would normally be uh, starved for a few days to make it quick and easy. Okay. Those lions are dying for any food. Okay. No kibbles and bits, nothing being served to them. Um, So did Daniel pray before they threw him in? I'm sure he did. Nothing wrong with that right? Your will be done, God, I bet he says. So he gives the order, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. At this point, the lion's den, in a sense, has become uh, a tomb, right? A grave. The chances of survival are not good, You're thrown in from up above. Sometimes the fall can injure you or kill you. But for sure, the lions see, oh, food, it ain't going to take long, right? Verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment, brought to him, and he could not sleep. You see why I said reluctantly? He's having a major turmoil going on because if somebody's guilty and we're going to throw him to the lions, great. I hope they eat every piece of this guy. This guy's innocent. He's a good guy, right? Who has the better night of sleep? Well, we don't know about Daniel. He might've gotten eaten, but it turns out, I'll bet you Daniel slept like a baby in there. And Darius didn't. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, very early in the morning, verse 19, the king got up and hurried. He rushed over to the lion's den. Verse 20, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the Lions? It's a question, right? It's he's not, he's not name it and claim it. Your God has saved you. He's wondering. He's crying out, Hey, Daniel. Um, I skipped a verse I just realized, which is 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Sorry about that. You say, Why? And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Sorry, I skipped that verse. Um, What's going on here? A large stone would be put over the top of Daniel's, some of you are smiling, tomb, basically, right? Um, Why was this done? So that the situation might not be changed. What do you mean by that? If he's alive in there, his enemies could come and kill him with spears, right? Or... um, Or if his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or some other friends are around, and nobody's around, and he's still alive, they could climb up there and lower a rope down or a ladder, climb up, and we'll get you out of here. So the situation can't be changed. A big stone. Why the ceiling with a ring? What is going on here? In those days, this is like a legal document. You ever had something notarized? Okay, the king would have his own special ring. They would get hot wax and put it over where the rock met the hole, and put the hot wax there. And the king's ring would go in there, meaning by the power vested in me as the king, you better not touch anything here or else. Okay. So the same. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Never mind. Um, so I skip verse 17. I apologize. Um, So he spends a sleepless night. He doesn't eat anything. There's no entertainment, no HBO, nothing for the king. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, he hurries there and he yells out in anguish, almost crying, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Imagine now there's a stone, there's the seal. So he probably sounds like this, right? Right? We can't really hear him that well because he's down in the pit, right? Daniel answered. We don't even know what he's going to say yet because I haven't read it, but it's already a miracle, right? He answered. He's been in there for hours. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel means angelus, means messenger, at least in Greek it does. And he shut the mouths of the lions, plural. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Whose sight? God's. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. I didn't mean to circumvent your power i just have a higher power higher power that i worship i'm putting words in his mouth but i'm probably right um pretty amazing um let's see psalm 22 some of you know i quote it often uh isaiah 53 psalm 22 if you're not familiar with those two don't do it now but read them tonight after we're done um they're both clearly about the messiah one is about what Messiah, Isaiah 53, what Messiah does, paying for the sins of the, of the world, uh, and that he's rejected and what have you. Um, psalm 22 is a psalm written by David in the first person, I, my, this happened to me. David writes it prophetically, and it's about a person in the first person being crucified. In that psalm, um, they have pierced my hands and my feet. If you, if you doubt me on this, the Jews, when they were referring to Psalms, would never have called it Psalm 22, okay? They didn't have the numbers. thirteen The 1300s is when they numbered the verses and the chapters and all that of the Bible. The Jews would refer to, refer to each Psalm by the first line of the Psalm. Example, if I said to you, you know that song, the patriotic song they sing at baseball games, um, oh, say, can you see? Do you know which one I mean? You'd know I mean the Star Spangled Banner, right? First line is like like the title. Guess what the first line of Psalm 22 is? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's almost like Jesus saying that is yelling out, all you Jews that know your scriptures, check out Psalm 22 when you go home. If you read it, it's about a person being Sacrifice, you know, sacrifice, basically crucified. Why do you bring this up, Joe? Psalm 22, verses 21 to 22. Save me from the lion's mouth. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Maybe Daniel remembered that psalm and prayed it. Who knows? But there's an angel in there with him, okay? A messenger. Some scholars think it's the angel of the Lord, same as in the fire in the fiery furnace, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some people think it is Christ before the manger, the Son of God, the Logos, with Him. Some think it's just an angel. Either way, I want you to put yourself, for a second, if you can, into Daniel's not shoes, sandals. How about that? You're thrown in there, right? I don't care how much faith you have. Partly, there's got to be the voice going, oh no, this isn't going to be good. And there's an angel in there. And the lions are staying away from you. It says he closed their mouths. Now, I don't know whether the, the lions were afraid of the angel or that they just um, were made to look the other way. I don't know. But it's not for 20 minutes. It's a whole evening. Daniel probably is communing with that angel, praising God, or maybe it's Christ himself, and he's praising him, and he has just an awesome time in there. No entertainment, no sleep, no food for Darius, awesome time for Daniel, okay? There are scholars who, or not scholars, skeptics who say, well, the lions weren't hungry, okay? We'll see in a second, There's a Greek word for that, balderdash or baloney, meaning it ain't true. I'll show you in a second. Um, Why did God send an angel in response to the prayer of faith of the righteous man? Uh, It stopped the mouths of the lions. In Hebrews 11.33, it says of Daniel, by faith, he stopped the mouths of the lions. God did it, obviously i um, looking at notes here. Um, God had rewarded Daniel's trust. Remember when Peter is in jail. You remember that? And the chains fall off and the door opens. Remember that? And he just like, wow, kind of a similar thing. Um, let's keep rolling, shall we? So the king is probably high-fiving anybody that he can find. He's thrilled that Daniel's alive and unharmed. They haven't hurt him, not even a scratch. Neither did the fall hurt him being dropped from above. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Absolute miracle. Now, there's a law that they call the law of lex talionis. Okay. The law of retaliation. Okay. And that is... Um, Uh, It's sort of like, I hate to even bring this up, but sort of like the Eastern concept, which Christians don't believe in, called karma. You ever heard that? What goes around comes around, man. Bad karma, you're bad to somebody, somebody will be bad to you. Bad things will happen to you. The Hindus totally believe that to the point that it is frowned upon for you to help someone that's a beggar. Okay, or to help someone that is um, deformed physically or mentally um, uh, incapacitated because Hindus believe that they're getting what they deserve from a past life. Okay, Hindus will not eat cows. You ever heard about this? The reason is because they believe in reincarnation. And old Uncle Harry, who died 14 years ago might've had a kind of bad life. And that cow might be him. Don't eat uncle Harry, okay? So anyway, um, but so this is not a law of retaliation that we can do. I'm gonna retaliate against Ken because he did something to me. what what does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Never take vengeance on anyone. But in their law, both the Romans and the Persians had lex talionis, the law of retaliation. What are you talking about, Joe? I'm talking about verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel, see, he knew they did this out of jealousy. Those guys, remember them? were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. Ouch. Along with their lives and children. We'll talk about that in a second. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Meaning what? They sure were hungry, right? You can't say, oh, they were timid lions. They were afraid of, they were like little pussycats. Yeah, right. Tell these guys. They're thrown in there, and what they had accused somebody of, they now face the punishment. Before they reach the floor, the lions are waiting. They sort of catch them and crush their bones. They eat them alive because that's what they deserve, isn't it? Now, You say, okay, I get it. The guys that tried to frame and impeach Daniel um, and tried to fool the king, uh, they might deserve this. Um, But what about the family? What about the kids? What about the poor wives who wish they married somebody else now, but it's too late, right? Because they became lion bait. Okay, number one. There is in the Bible the idea of corporate uh, solidarity, okay? It's a fancy word. What does it mean? I'm going to explain to you that what it is occurs today in America, okay? It occurs today in California. It occurs today in every country. And that is that starting with the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, who sinned? Adam and Eve. Who paid for it? Adam and Eve. And who else? All humans who have ever lived. The reason there is sickness, death, decay, lying, stealing, sin on planet earth, all goes back to the Garden of Eden. You say, wait a minute, I didn't eat the forbidden fruit. Why am I paying for the federal head, Adam, and Eve's sin? And the answer is, because that is the way the world works. In our country, if President Trump or President Biden has says to the guy in North Korea, Kim Jong, mentally ill or whatever his name is, if, 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 if the president says, I dare you to nuke, nuke us, go ahead, nuke the West Coast, and he does it, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, LA are going to melt, right? And you're going to go, I didn't say that. Our leaders sometimes can do things for which we end up paying, right? And um, what the Old Testament forbids, though, uh, in Deuteronomy 24 is the punishment for sin shall not be on the sons or the daughters. Okay. What do you mean? If the father sins, this is Bible now we're talking, not law of the world. If the father sins, then you punish the father. You don't punish the son or the grandson or the wife or the parents or anybody else, biblically speaking. But that law of uh, sort of corporate headship, Adam sinned, we've been paying ever since. Had Adam and Eve not sinned, you would never get sick, be injured, or die, ever. Heaven, in a sense, is the restoration of the Garden of Eden, in which, in heaven, you will never get sick, get injured, or die, right? Um, With one exception, heaven, Eden. Eden very, very similar. What's the exception? There will be no serpent, no devil in heaven to go, hey, do you want to try this and tempt you? He will be forever in the lake of fire by then. That's the difference. Um, this is, in a way, the cross in reverse, where the guilty are paying for the innocent. Right, the guilty ones that tried to frame him, get him impeached, are praying for the are paying for the innocent with their lives. Um, we already talked about that. Psalm seven speaks about the our enemy, the evil, wicked people that set a snare for us, a trap for us, that they will be caught in their own trap. May their weapons fall on their own heads, so to speak. Um, Okay, uh, let's keep rolling, and then we're going to do our little comparison, on so I better r- hurry. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, that was better than the first one. Um, so those guys are all dead for trying to get rid of Daniel. They're all wiped out. The House of Representatives, the Senate, the you know, okay. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. Here's his writing. I issue, verse 26, a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. I've seen enough proof. People everywhere must fear, reverence, awe for, respect for the God of Daniel and reverence him, show him great respect for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Is Darius saved or not? Let's keep reading. He rescues, who does? The God of Daniel. Remember, that's the subject of all this in verse 26 fear and reverence the God of Daniel. He's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Verse 27, he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. This is incredible praise from a pagan king of Persia. He has rescued Daniel because there's no other explanation. The lions were afraid of Daniel. The lions weren't hungry. The lions were sedated in some way. Forget it. They ate those other people in a second. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Is he saved? Most scholars say no. And here's why. Who is this God? Verse 26. The God of... Daniel. Daniel's God. What does it take to be saved? To say, gosh, Bill, I've watched your life and you really are a Christian. Your God is awesome. Jesus clearly paid for your sins on the cross and your God is great. You aren't saved, folks, until you can say that God is now the God of Darius, my God, right? personal relationship. Have you ever heard the saying God has no grandchildren? It means because I'm a Christian um, and I'm his son, then my son and my daughter are automatically saved. Grandchildren. No, no. They have to have their own relationship directly with the living God. He calls him the God of Daniel. Maybe we're splitting hairs. Maybe we'll see Darius in heaven, and he'll tell me the real way to pronounce his name is Darius. I don't know, but, uh, but I don't. Uh, most scholars said the way he words it, he's got everything right. His theology is, he gets an A in theology and an F when it comes to salvation because he calls him the God of Daniel. Okay, now let's get to the little secret meaning that you guys, some of you already know what I'm going to say, aren't you? don't you? Did anybody here see a parallel or similarity with something in the New Testament? Okay, that's your hint. Um, Okay, I've got to skip to my notes here. Okay, go back to uh, verse, let's see, where do I want to start this? Verse 10. Um, Daniel prays on his knees. How many times? Very good. Three times. Jesus Christ, when he's arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, has just been on his knees praying three times. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good, Joe. Move on. Um, verse 13, they say of Daniel, he doesn't regard you king or your decree. He uh, There's a demeaning title. By the way, there's definitely anti-Semitism in this whole thing. They hate Daniel because he's a Jew, and he's one of God's people. Okay, he doesn't regard you with a decree. Daniel's questionable origins. You know, he comes from those, those uh, refugees. Jesus's accusers tell Pontius Pilate, beginning at despise Nazareth, he stirs up the people and to, forbids people to give tribute to Caesar, saying he himself is Christ a king. You see the similarity? They're kind of accusing Daniel of the same thing. Verse 14, I'm going quickly. Um, so the king, Darius, sets his heart on delivering, tries to deliver Christ. Do you remember Pontius Pilate? Why? What has he done? I find no guilt in this man. I'm washing my hands of him. I'm sending him to King Herod. How about I give you Barabbas instead? Pontius Pilate's wife had a dream. Do you remember that? He knows, Pilate knows this is a trumped up charge thing. These Jewish rulers are just trying to get this guy out because of envy and jealousy. It says it in the gospels. Verse 14 of this chapter the king set his his heart on delivering Daniel. Remember that? Pilate did as well. He tried to set him free. But the king is trapped by his own law. Pontius Pilate is trapped by his own law. The Jews remind him of this. They say, if you free this man who says he's a king, you're no friend of Caesar, implying we're going to go to, we're going to tell Caesar that you don't care if there's another king behind besides him. Um, His own law kind of thing. We said earlier that the den, the lion's den, in a sense becomes a sepulcher, a tomb, right? You get thrown in a lion's den, do you know what happens? You die, right? It's his tomb. He's gonna be torn apart by wild beasts. Psalm 22, they gaped upon me dot, 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 as a ravening and roaring lion. They pierced my hands and my feet. Save me from the lion's mouth. We already read verse 21. Verse 17 of this chapter, a stone is rolled over the opening. If we say the den in a sense is a tomb, does that remind you of anything? Jesus is put into the tomb and a stone is rolled over it. And you know what else? The Jews say, He might, that's right, he went like this with his ring. The Jews might try to steal, his disciples might try to steal the body. Remember the Jews come to Pilate and say that? So let's post a Roman guard and there's a seal put on the tomb. You mess with this tomb, you answer to the Roman government. Um, So uh, verse 19, the king arose, what a coincidence, very early in the morning, and he went in haste. Do you remember? The Lord's tomb gets visited very early in the morning. Do you remember that? Um, By those who hardly believed he could have lived. Mary and the other ladies are coming not to see the risen Christ. They're shocked that he rose. What are they coming to do? Further embalm the body. They think he's dead. So does the king early in the morning. Um, Verse 22, Daniel was still alive in the morning. Christ was too. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. In Matthew 28, an angel descended from heaven to roll away the stone. Matthew 28 too. Pretty cool. By the way, the angel doesn't roll away the stone so Jesus can come out. It's so that they can look in and see that he's not there. How do you know that? Because in the resurrection appearances, he comes through locked doors Remember in the upper room? That stone is no stopping Jesus. It's nothing to stop Jesus. Verse 24. um, Oh, verse 23, a resurrection. Daniel was brought up out of the pit because he believed in his God. Of Christ, it was said he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Verse 24, the king gave the command and had those accused to suffer the same punishment they had put on christ you say wait what's that 40 years later 70 a.d the romans march on jerusalem they kill somewhere between half a million and 1.1 million jews many of the jews were wait for it crucified by the romans ouch the same punishment they had put on christ um Jesus says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. These will be the days of vengeance, he told his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Verses 25 to 27, King Darius ends up, a Gentile ends up praising the God of Israel. Jesus dies, and what happens? Gentiles praise the God of Israel. What does the centurion that was in charge of the crucifixion say? Surely this was the Son of God pretty amazing. A man without blame, a righteous man, faithful to God in all his ways, noted for prayer. Do you mean Daniel or Jesus? Yes. Sent to his death because of the jealousy of those who wanted to prevent his exaltation. On the morning, the stone was rolled away after having been sealed. He came out victoriously. He glorified God. Pagans gave honor to God, and his enemies were judged. Coincidence? Nah. Pretty good story. Daniel 6 and Jesus the Messiah. Let's pray, um, and then we'll uh, dismiss the class. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this amazing lesson. And we see ourselves deficient in this lesson, if we're honest. May we be the kind of people that obediently live our lives as a habit of obeying you, of praying regularly, God, to you. May we um, have in our lives nothing that our enemies can accuse us for, much like Daniel. And if we're persecuted, may it be for good. When we're in that pit of despair, God, may we trust you that you are at least with us in it. And whether we're in danger or in persecution, help us to rely on you totally and trust you to bring us through, bringing glory in the end to you. And lastly, Lord, kingdoms come and they go away and they seem so big and powerful. We rejoice that you're totally sovereign, not only with kings and nations and governments, but in individual lives like mine and everyone here listening, Father, and on Zoom what an awesome thing, you, uh, thing it is to believe in God and know that the end is coming and it is going to be absolutely glorious. Thank you for these truths, Father. May they change the way we live. We give thanks to you and praise in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for being here on Zoom and those of you that are here. Uh, we'll see you next time and do tell someone else about the Bible study. Have a great night. God bless.